Behold the king. Look at the king. Worship the king. Adore the king. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It's not real hard to, uh, to worship and adore a baby, is it? You know, soft, little, nice little baby, right? We, we enjoy, we, we appreciate being able to look at and see a, a new baby that has been born. Now, we are in this series that we started last week. We're, we're on this journey to, 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 to see, to understand, to know the story of Jesus from the very beginning to the very end. Last week, we talked about the need for a Savior, about how we are separated from God because of our sin. Something has to happen in order for our relationship with God to be restored. And then as we, as we moved through our time last week, we also looked at how, how all throughout the Old Testament, there's these announcements that are being made, this, these prophecies about the coming Messiah. You have all of these references to Jesus coming someday. And, and when these prophets and when, when God himself talks about Jesus coming, it's, it's most often looked at in such a way of, you know, it's distant, somewhere out there in the future. All but then the angel comes to Zechariah, right? God speaks to Zechariah. The, the angel comes to Mary. He, he says, you're going to be the, ma- the mother of Jesus. The angel comes in a dream to Joseph and lets him know you're going to be the dad, the stepdad, the earthly dad of Jesus, the Messiah, And then we get to our passage for today. Jesus is born. I love this. You know the story. Mary and Joseph are on their way to Bethlehem. Um, They're going to be uh, counted with all their other family members like Pastor Nate just talked about in the video. And they get to Bethlehem and the time comes for Jesus to be born. And you get to the the, uh, shepherds out in the field. And look at verse 10, starting at verse 10 of Luke chapter 2. Let's start reading there. Here's what it says. And the angel said to them, talking about the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Something amazing has happened. Jesus, the Son of God, has been born. This is not just any, any baby, okay? This is, this is God himself for the first time taking on the form of a human being here on this earth. Something is going to be done about the fallen state of the world. God's plan for redemption is in the works. The Messiah, the Savior, the King has come. The next step in God's plan is coming about. I want you to take your Bibles now and go to Galatians chapter 4. Because what I want to do in the next few moments is, is take a look at what Paul viewed, or how Paul viewed the, the, the birth of Jesus. 
He, he, he takes these two verses in Galatians chapter 4 and he kind of encapsulates the birth of Jesus. What does this mean for mankind? It's almost like he puts together a profile of the king, the profile of the Savior, the Messiah. And we're going to work through what he has to say here. I'm going to start reading in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. First of all, he says there, in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. Jesus is the child that all of time has waited for. Okay, Jesus is the child that all of time has waited for. And when the time was right, then God sent forth his son into the world to be born. And this is not a random time. Okay, this is a time that was agreed upon ahead of time. God had, had preordained that there was going to be a time in which Jesus would come. So now what Paul's saying is when the fullness of time had come, God, what, sent forth his son. Okay, let's talk about that fullness of time, though, for just a moment before we get to the God sent forth his son. Why was this the right time? You think about all of history, okay? All of history. Everything that had happened in Israel's history before this, why was this the time that God chose? And I think there's several reasons for this. First of all, I think politically it, it's a great time. The Romans are, are ruling all of the known world. It's a time of, of Roman peace, the Pax Romana. A time in which the entire world is united under the, the Roman government. And even though they are, there are nations like Israel that would have been at odds with the Romans, the Romans were dictating peace all throughout the known world. It was, it was ideal when it comes to economics. The technology for the greatest roads and the greatest transportation in all of the history of the world now is there for the gospel to go to the nations. You see, before, nations were separated drastically, but now out of Rome comes five of the greatest highways that have ever been built. The transportation, the economics are there. Linguistically, it made sense for Jesus to come at this point. Um, the language of the world was Greek. There's other languages that were spoken by different nations here and there, but every nation had an understanding of Greek. Every nation was because they were ruled by the Romans, they, they also spoke Greek. The gospel was going to be able to reach every single nation simply because the language of the world was Greek. But then it's also a, a great time when it comes to the religious atmosphere. So we talk about this fullness of time, Jesus coming at just the right time. And I think about the religious component of this. God has been silent completely for 400 years. He hasn't spoken to a prophet he hasn't appeared to a priest. He hasn't spoken in any way in 400 years. Paganism is rampant all over the known world. And even people are looking at Judaism going, man, it's a fake religion. What kind of religion is, is a true religion when their God hasn't had anything to do with them for 400 plus years? And so people are looking at all this going, where do I turn for hope? Materialism isn't cutting it. A reliance on the government. Yeah, they brought peace, but that's not cutting it. Our pagan gods, what good are they? So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. The right time, God sends forth his son. Did you know 
that Jesus' existence did not begin with the virgin birth. Did y'all know that? He existed before that. In fact, he was in the presence of God in, in heaven. He was with God in heaven. And there came that point where God said, okay, Jesus, go. I've got a job for you. Go. You know, as I was thinking about this phrase this week, I thought about something that Jesus did at the end of his ministry on earth. He had, he had already died. He had already rose from the dead. He gathers his disciples around. And he says, I got a job for you. Now go. He commissions his disciples, doesn't he, at the end of his life. But he's only doing what God has already done for him. There came a point where God commissioned Jesus, said, go. God sent him forth to carry out his, to carry out his job. You continue reading here in, in Galatians chapter 4, you see that Jesus was born of woman. Okay, now you read that and you think, well, that makes sense. Um, kind of goes without saying that, of course, Jesus, if he was born on earth, that he was born of a woman, it sure wouldn't be a man. But listen, there is a ton of significance just in these three little words. Think about this. Every single genealogy in the Bible has something in common. Such and such man begat such and such man who begat such and such man who begat such and such man. It's rare that a woman is ever spoken of in any way, shape, or form. There's a couple of, of references. You got Bathsheba, you got Ruth, and the genealogy there in Matthew. But as a whole, the Hebrew culture looked at this, this idea of a family as the man is the, the head of the family, the man is the one that brings significance to the family. The man is the one that everything rides on in the family. The man fails, the family fails. The man is successful, the family is successful. But Paul here uses these words, born of woman. I think he's communicating here very simply two things. Number one, that Jesus' dad, Jesus' father, was deity. We know that as we read the Bible, that God was the one that, that instituted this birth, right? But then secondly, Jesus was also, even though he was still deity, he was also every bit flesh and blood, born of woman. I love how Paul communicates that, that idea. Jesus was both God and man at the same time. It's the only time, only time in all of history that anything like this ever happens, yeah, but not only was Jesus born of woman, he was also born under the law. He was born under the law. That's what Galatians tells us there in chapter 4. That means that he, that Jesus was a servant of God. Because anyone that was born under the Old Testament law was a servant of God, and they were bound to obedience to the law. Now, a little bit later on, Jesus in his life would say, I have not come to abolish the law, but I came what? To fulfill the law. He said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to be the fulfillment of the law. So everything that you've been hoping for, everything that you could not do for yourself in obeying the law, I came to do that, is what Jesus is saying. He came to fulfill the law. Jesus was born to live the perfect life that was required by the law, but also the perfect life that nobody, nobody could actually live. He did it. But then he continues in talking about this idea of the law. He, he has a bigger purpose than just fulfilling the law for himself. He says, he also came to redeem those who are under the law. To redeem those who are under the law. Now the reality is that there is no way that you or I could ever live a life that's good enough to get to God. We cannot earn our way to heaven. There's no way that we can do it. You can try all of your life. And if all you base your salvation on 
is the works that you completed on this earth. Then when you get to heaven, you are in, not to heaven, when you get before the Lord, you're going to be surprised. There's only one way, one way to eternal life. There's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus. He has come to redeem, to save, to rescue, to pay the price for us, to buy us out of our slavery. He has come to redeem us from our sin, from being under the law. Our sin required us to die. But God's forgiveness through Jesus releases us from that requirement to die. And His forgiveness offers us mercy. Man, that's a great thing. But then lastly, as we look at these, these implications of the birth of Jesus, kind of this, this profile that Paul puts forth of the birth of Jesus, here's what we find. So we would be adopted. So we would be adopted. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that before we were believers, we were not children of God, we were children of wrath. In fact, we were sons of disobedience is what it tells us there. But when a person is adopted, they're given all the rights and all the privileges of being a part of a new family. That's how it works for us being adopted into God's family. We are adopted as sons and daughters, and we are given the full rights and all the privileges of being children of God. The Westminster um, Larger Catechism is a document that was written many, many years ago, and, and it has question 74 in there. Question 74 has to do with Paul's teaching on adoption as uh, sons and daughters. And here's what it says. It says that all those who are justified by faith alone are, and here's what it says, received into the number of God's children, have his name put upon them, the spirit of his son given to them, are under his fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. In other words, by adoption, those of us whom God has justified have the same name, same inheritance, same standing, and the same rights as the one who is the Son of God. Now, here's what I wanted to do here in the last few moments. I wanted to, to kind of paint a picture, give a little bit of, of, of background, significance, meaning, help us understand significance and meaning of Jesus' birth. If you, if you walk into my, uh, my in-law's house and you go into their into there. I'm not saying that you just walk in there, um, but I'm just saying if you were to go invite, be invited to their house and go into their house, um, you go into the kitchen and you look at the refrigerator, you're going to see four columns of pictures, okay? Four columns of pictures. I've got four boys. And what you're going to find there is my kids' baby pictures. So we're talking like the top one being the day after the kid was born, Right, then the next one is one month in, or maybe it's one week in, I don't remember exactly, one month in, three months in, six months in, nine months in, 12 months in, you know, all the way down. So you got four, there we go, oh, I got it, thank you, Hillary, thank you. Um, she's giving me a clap because I got it right, sweet. Um, anyway, you're going to see four columns of pictures there on, on, on their refrigerator of my kids, okay? And you go and you look at them and you think, those are the sweetest kids in the world, right? Those are the cutest kids in the world, Oh, how precious. And I look at him and I think, yeah, that's not the face that kid was making in the middle of the night in his crib when he's screaming his head off. Okay, But they are. They're cute. And I mean, and you, you walk up to a baby and you, you, you see a baby and, and you think, man, that's a precious new life, right? 
I want you to put for just a moment, I want to put yourself, you to put yourself in the shoes of those shepherds, of, of anyone who would have seen Jesus as a baby. And just like any other human being, you walk up and you say, this is precious, right? A new life is here. But there's something different about this child. And I don't know if the shepherds understood the significance when they were looking at him fully. Yeah, the, the angel host had just appeared to him in the field. So yeah, there's something different about this child. I don't know if they really got it fully. But here's, here's my goal with, with sharing what I have so far this morning. My goal is that you can look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, and you can see this small profile of the picture of, of Jesus' birth that, that Paul gives us. And then when you go to worship Jesus and when you see him, when you see this king that has come, you're not just looking at a new baby. You're looking at the son of God, the one who has come from God to redeem us, to make us adopted sons and daughters of the most high God. That's this baby. That's the one that we come to worship this morning. Father, help us to worship him knowing that he is the preeminent one. Father, we thank you for the beauty of Jesus in that manger, but Father, we thank you for the beauty of Jesus as our Redeemer. And thank you, Father, for adopting us as sons and daughters. We love you. Crushed to purchase our salvation to the glory of God, behold the King. Last week we looked at the need for our Savior, the announcement of the Savior coming. We looked at the birth of Jesus, the Savior, the King. But now, we turn our attention to the death. Say, so how in the world can you talk about the birth and the death in the same day? Y'all listen. The death of Jesus is exactly why Jesus came. I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I, I thought about, okay, do I go to Matthew 27 and talk through the crucifixion? Do I go to Mark chapter 15 or, or Luke or John to, to talk through the crucifixion? And I instead decided to go to my kids' Bible storybook. And I'm going to read the account of the crucifixion from my kids' Bible storybook. And my prayer is that the weight of this rests on our hearts as we hear this story. So you're a king, are you? The Roman soldiers jeered. Then you'll need a crown and a robe. They gave Jesus a crown made out of thorns and put a purple robe on him and pretended to bow down to him. Your majesty, they said. Then they whipped him and spat on him. They didn't understand that this was the prince of life, the king of heaven and earth, who had come to rescue them. The soldiers made him a sign, our king, and nailed it to a wooden cross. They walked up a hill outside the city. Jesus carried the cross on his back. Jesus had never done anything wrong, but they were going to kill him the way criminals were killed. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what they're doing. 
You say you've come to rescue us, people shouted. But you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he'd called. If you were really the son of God, you could just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop. Like when he healed that little girl. And when he stilled the storm. When he fed 5,000 people. But Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Papa, Jesus cried, frantically searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. Even though it was midday, a dreadful darkness covered the face of the world. The sun could not shine. The earth trembled and quaked. The great mountains shook. Rocks split in two until it seemed that the whole world would break, that creation would tear itself apart. The full force of the storm of God's fierce anger at sin was coming down on his own son instead of his people. It was the only way God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose hearts were filled with sin. Then Jesus shouted out in a loud voice, It is finished. Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. And with a great sigh, he let himself die. Strange clouds and shadows filled the sky, purple, orange, black, like a bruise. Jesus' friends gently carried Jesus and laid him in a new tomb carved out of rock. How could Jesus die? What had gone wrong? What did it mean? They didn't know anything anymore, except they did know that their hearts were breaking. That's the end of Jesus, the religious leaders said. But just to be sure, they sent strong soldiers to guard the tomb. They hauled a huge stone in front, of the, in front of the door to the tomb so that no one could get in and so that no one could get out. And you're going to have to wait until next week for the next part of the story. Jesus came as that baby, to be worshipped. But he came as the son of God. Every bit God and every bit man to die for me and for you. If you want to know more about what it means to, why did, why did you just do that? If you want to talk about that sometime, I'd love to talk with you. Reach out to me. 
I wanted the weight of Jesus' death to rest with us for a moment. But we know that's not the end of the story. And we're going to sing a song here that, that, yeah, reflects on his death. That reflects on the true reason why Jesus came. But also, look at the hope that we have that that's not the end.